Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I say this statement every week. Stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. We always talk about gifts. We talk about passions. I always tell people to lead with your gifts. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My interviews include CEOs, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is C.C. Winey. C.C. Winey. That's right. C.C. Winey. She is born in Detroit and currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee, where she is based and has been married for 37 years. C.C. and her husband, Alvin Love II, are the founding pastors of Nashville Life Church and recently installed their son, Alvin Love III, as lead pastor last year. In music, there's no stopping C.C. Winans. A 12 times Grammy Award winner, 23 times Dove's Award winner, and 15 times Stella Award winner. And now we have to include her induction in the Gospel Music Hall of Fame and receiving a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, star on Nashville Music Walk of Fame, see, Nashville City. Music City yeah. Walk of Fame. She is on the show to discuss her current album, Believe for It. The album is currently at number four on Billboard's top Christian gospel album chart and has been in the top ten every week since it's, since it was released twenty weeks ago. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation for the very first, first time and not the last time. CC Wine. <laughs> How you doing, CC? <laughs> Hello, hello, Rashad. How are you? Well, oh, fantastic. You know, I, I got to share a little story. I did it all for you. I got to bring it on camera here about, uh, you know, I do a newsletter with Money Making uh-huh. Conversations. Uh, we do it every week. Uh, uh, Dale, he handles the, my, my, my creative. And I walked in his office. Uh, I said, I just ran across this video of CC Wine, and she looked amazing. I said, I got to drop this in my newsletter. This song's amazing. And my newsletter goes out to like 200,000 people. And oh, I had to drop it there. So awesome! Thank I, you. You know, it, it it was it was like it was like when I saw it, you know, it, it was like a, a blessing to me because it made me feel good, mm-hmm. and it also made me mm-hmm. feel that the relevancy of who you are as a as a person who still delivers a powerful message, a person mm-hmm. who still has the gift that God gave you to sing and to inspire. Mm-hmm. So when 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 a person like me. Who just you know just walking down the street? No, no, it's kind of like walking down the street and you see a a beautiful car go by, or you see uh-huh. an amazing building, or you see this beautiful tree. That's what it was to me when I came across your video on my feed. Talk about oh. that that ability to uh, that God has given you to make those type of responses or reaction from people like me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that is such a blessing. First of all, thank you so much. It's amazing <laughs> that. Um, the power of you pushing a button, how many people you reached. Uh, that's just overwhelming to me. And uh, so thank you so much for sharing um, the good news. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, I'm blessed to be able to, to give good news and I don't take it lightly. The, right. the position that God has given me, the influence that he's allowed me to have in people's lives. Right. Um, it's, it's important that it is something that, will always uplift people mm-hmm. and never bring them down. 
you know, now I want to say that. Let's stay right there on the uplift part because uh, mm-hmm. you did a concert on TBN. It was March 26th. It was a Believe, Believe Ford concert. Believe to your Ford album. concert, yeah. It was, and it was beautiful. And at 2.5 million, it was so beautiful, 2.5 million people saw, thought it was beautiful too. Okay, let's go say, boy, <laughs> what just Rashawn McDonald? It was 2.5 million people watched this, okay? And it was on TBN. But you know me, Stacey, I always like to just go deeper into what I, the people. And I went to the comment section. And, it, mm-hmm. and, and I want to just grab three comments that came okay. out of this. And, 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 and I want to talk about them because one, one was from this young lady. She says, your music saved my life. After my mm-hmm. mom passed away, I had a bad depression. I locked myself in my room, listened to your albums over and over, and it brought me out. Thank you, Miss Cece Winans. Another wow. one was, I too lost my daughter last year, reacting to the earlier comment I just read. CC's music has been such a calming effect on me. I wasn't even looking for this album, Believe For It. Believe For It. But I guess God knew I needed it. So Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. lead me to it. So I listened to it, and I listened to it, and I listened to it. Thank you, Father, for using CC to bring your message to so many people. I appreciate you, Lord God. And then the last one was, CC, God richly blessed you. I was so depressed, but after worshiping with you, listening to your music, I was lifted. I have tears in my eyes as I write this. Anytime I listen to your songs, they're so uplifting and they're mm-hmm. such a blessing. Uh, you know, not trying to bring this interview down, not trying to get churchy, but mm-hmm. when I read stuff like that, I got to bring it to your attention. Because sometimes I would tell people, like, you, you're grinders, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes mm-hmm. you can just go, that's what I, you know, that's what I do. But you also need to know what you do. Your singing, your heart, your your blessings, how they affect people. When I read something like that, knowing that you are tied to the church, you founded a church in Nashville, talk to my audience mm-hmm. for a minute about that. Um, well, first of all, it, it makes me want to cry. It brings tears to my eyes. Um, you know, Richard, when I was, um, let me see, I was probably about 17 years old mm-hmm. when BB and I started singing. And, um, well, no, I was older than that. I was older than that. We started it on a TV show years ago. And starting out that young as a teenager, um, 17, 18 years old, 19 years old, you get a lot of mail from young people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I realized at that time, because I received a, uh, a piece of mail from a young lady back then, and she was telling me how she was listening to the radio and how our song came on the radio and how she was contemplating suicide. Mm-hmm. And um, after hearing our songs, she decided to give life another try. Wow. Um, that hit me so hard that I, I would never forget it. I realized then that my music was not about just entertainment. Yes, we want people to enjoy it. <laughs> we want them to, you know, get excited about it, mm-hmm. laugh, dance, mm-hmm. enjoy it with, mm-hmm. with their, their, their families and all of that, come to the concerts. But I realized that the power of music is powerful enough to really impact people in such a way that it's it's literally life or death. Yes, it is. And so, as a as a as a young person, I, I had to rethink what God was sending me to do. And and so, the, reading those comments and hearing those comments today that you just shared with me, um, it just reinforces 
the power of music. Mm -hmm. It's powerful when it's positive and it's powerful when it's negative, you right, know? Right. Um, but, but singing the gospel, singing the scripture, singing the word, it actually gives life, mm -hmm. you know? And so I am honored. I'm privileged to be able to sing gospel music. And I'm humbled that God would use a young lady from Detroit, Michigan, <laughs> you know, um, to touch people in such a way that it literally saves their lives. And Absolutely. so I am speechless. Thank you so much for sharing. And for those who wrote in, thank you so much for sharing your testimony because um, it's life-changing for me. Right. It's, it's why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, the awards are great. You know, when you were introducing me, all the... The, the different things that we've won over the years, I'm so humbled by it, but mm -hmm. that's not why we do what we do. We right. do what we do to hear those testimonies that you just share. Well, you know, thank you. You know, that's why I wanted to share them with you. You know, I could say when I yeah. do interviews, I try to like take the perspective of why I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you out of admiration. Mm. I feel blessed that I have this conversation to share with my audience and money-making conversations. CC Winings is coming on my show. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about this album. But we need to talk about how you are, 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 are like I say, you're, you're very aware of the times of communications. Yeah. And, and that's what you said, Rashawn. Just clicking a button, I sent your video out to 200,000 people. Now, mm -hmm. clicking another button on Mother's Day, you started a podcast. And it's yes. called Generations. And that's what I love about you because some people can get stuck in their ways. Well, this works for me, you know, uh, right, and I'm cool right. with it. <laughs> but when you realize you are an international talent, okay, let's go and be real now, Cece. You are an international talent. That uh -huh. podcast allows you to personalize your message, but also reach people in South Africa, in Brazil, in Jamaica, yeah. in Russia, in uh, Germany, in England. Yeah. Talk yeah. about why you started Generations and the and why you started on Mother's Day. And, uh, yeah. and let's continue this conversation. Okay, Cici. great, great. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, even what you're saying as far as embracing the times, embracing the new way of doing things, it's not easy because, you know, I've been out here doing this a long time now. <laughs> and uh, the industry has changed drastically from the time that, you know, I started and, and now. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting used to the all the the Instagrams and the Facebooks mm -hmm. and everything that's happening now, the podcast, it's just uh, it can be overwhelming, but you have to be willing to embrace change. You have to be willing to to do the new, you know, mm -hmm. um, because what God has given me, um, I, I have the responsibility of stewarding it well, you mm -hmm. know, and. Um, it's, it's, it brings challenges, but we all have to be willing. If you're going to grow, you have to be willing to embrace challenging times, you know, and challenges. That's how we grow. And so, but, but, but generations, oh, come on now. I, I've been <laughs> wanting to start a, uh, rather it's a conference or ministry for, for everybody, but especially women, um, of different ages, you know, um, like I said, when I started out, I was about, ooh, singing professionally, maybe about 16 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm 56 now, soon to be 57. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my, my mom is still with me, who's an amazing woman of God. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we live in this culture that we, as we get older, people seem to think you lose your value. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But I, I believe that you become more valuable the older you get. Yes. Um, and my mom is still with me. She's 84 years old, soon to be 85. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure, you know, because so many times we sit back and after someone's gone, we wish we would have done this. Yes. And we wish we would have done that. Mm-hmm. And I want to encourage everybody who's hearing me today, move on what God has put in your heart. Mm-hmm. Stop waiting for the perfect time because the perfect time is now, you know, it's never a perfect time to do, to do, to step out and to do the the new, you Absolutely. know? And so mm-hmm. coming together, it was important to bring my mom and now to bring my daughter, who's a new mom, in so that we could understand the, the power of generations, the power of love, the power of family, the power of God's faithfulness to every generation, and also to find out and to learn, you know, I, I, I'm, I am who I am today because I had a mother who took out time to pour into me. Yes. Um, and, and we have to take out time to pour into the younger generation. I'm here to pour into my daughter, um, because your prayer for your children is that they will do better than what you've done. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really important that you say that because it's not about paying it for. It's just that, you know, I have a, I have a daughter. I've been blessed, married 33 years. So you got me about four. Okay, you got me about four awesome. years. Okay, okay, awesome. you got about four years. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and you know, those, those, those years, they have challenges because nothing's oh, ever easy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but it's about communication. It's about communication when you look at it. And, and when you say, when you talk about change, I remember when I was managing Steve Harvey, you know, we had this, uh, I was resisting. The, the Twitter and the social media, because we had a radio mm-hmm. format that was syndicated. We had a, a fan club of like a million fan club subscribers. I go, why do I need this new technology? And because you need it because you have to be able to be topical. You have to be relevant. You have to be able to understand right, how people mm-hmm. are communicating, not saying what you're doing. Or, and you shouldn't stop what you're doing. Like, I still have a newsletter, but I also That's have social right. media. I also have, well, I also have podcasts. I also do uh, things on YouTube. All these things have value and all these things can bring in revenue. Now, right. in your whole world that you have created, you know, and these blessings that you've received and been recognized for, mm-hmm. believe for it. Is your first live recorded album? Now let's yeah. let's walk through that step because I'm I'm just go back to you, see, yeah, you know I'm like a you know Marvin Gaye live, you know Frankie <laughs> Beverly and Mays live in yeah. New Orleans, you yeah. know I'm, I'm that type of live, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and I yeah. Said, and then, but hearing your live, you know, was a different live. I wasn't trying to party. I was just sitting there being inspired and being able to think about myself in a positive way. And so why did you wait this long for your first live recording? And what did you get out of? What, what was you received out of it, CC, when you when the, when you brought everybody together and then you they went, it's a wrap. <laughs> Love that question. Um, well, first of all, I, I don't have a good answer for you why I waited so long. Uh-huh. Um because I love the experience of mm-hmm. live mm-hmm. worship, live concerts. Mm-hmm. We've toured for years and there's nothing like it, you know. But also, I guess for me in the studio, when you do a recording in the studio, you're able to kind of listen to it, tweak it, fix this, mm-hmm. make sure, you know. So that's the value to me in doing it in the studio. But I think we just got busy with life and never took out the time to record a live record. I've done live videos, but never released a record that was live. Mm -hmm. And 
And again, I just don't have a good answer. Except <laughs> I just didn't take out the time. But but this was the time. Um, and now that I look back, I see it was really the time because we had planned it before the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic happened, um, we had to cancel everything because yes. your first live record, you know, you, we were we were having it at a place where we wanted about four or five thousand people. Right. And so that wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm looking at doing my first live record with no people in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, right, right. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, so we canceled it, uh, Richard, and then we, uh, later on uh, towards the end of the year, I felt like it was time. Right. It was like, we, we have mm-hmm. to release this mm-hmm. and probably even more so because of the pandemic. Right. A lot of people were isolated. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't have family members. Mm-hmm. You just said how you've been married 33 years. I've been married almost, uh, well, 37 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but a lot of people didn't have family. Right. You know, a lot of people were hurting. A lot of people lost family. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like this record was something that was really needed to create a live experience mm-hmm. where people, I mean, churches were closed down. Absolutely. A lot of people couldn't go to church, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, that's rough. Right. When you're used to mm-hmm. being in a in the sanctuary with more people and worshiping together. That's a big uh, gap in your life when you can't have it. And so... I felt like this record was right on time mm-hmm. to help people right where they were um, going through the pandemic and understanding that God was with them mm-hmm. to let them know that they're not forgotten. Right. To let them know, you know, uh, don't give up, don't give in, um, do the things that we need to do to protect ourselves. But but let's praise God through through the situations. And and so after we finished this record, we had people praying. You know, I think during that time you could have maybe fifty people. Mm-hmm. And so I brought people in who I knew know, knew how to pray, <laughs> and they prayed. They prayed throughout that audience, um, and we had a great time. And after we were done, I was like, Lord, I thank you mm-hmm. for your love because mm-hmm. I felt the love of God mm-hmm. in that room. Mm-hmm. And my prayer is that it would be so strong mm-hmm. that when people heard it, that they would feel it. Well, you know, that, and, uh, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. You know, the fun, the fun part about it is that, you know, I, I'm, and I would tell you, because it's about being honest, I'm not a daily churchgoer or a weekly churchgoer, okay. you know. But okay. when I go to church, it's a, it, the people need to understand, this is Rashawn talking. When I sit down on that pew, and somebody maybe to the left of me, maybe to the right, because I always get on the end. I always I like getting on the end. That's why I sit. I sit on the end. I might be on the end on the left or the end on the right. That's why I sit. See, see, I just I get up and let them go past me. But it's something about um, being in the church that allows you just to be in the church. It really is. Yeah. It, it, I, yeah. I don't think about my job. I don't think about uh, my problems. Yeah. And what I do think about is what I can do with my life and the people I care about. And I also yeah. think about forgiving my enemies. Because I, 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 I say a prayer. I always I pray for the people mm-hmm. I care about, and I also mm-hmm. pray for the people that are my enemies. Because they, yeah. they need to be blessed for some reason. Why they, I don't right. know why they're not my enemies, but they're my enemies. But guess what? I'm still going to give you a blessing in my prayer. And so right. being a person, you know, one of the founding pastors of Nashville Life Church, and, I'm, and hearing me say this, mm-hmm. is, 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 is that 
what is the what is what is the goal when you see a person like me sitting there and you got the choir singing, you got the the uh, people who are anointed preaching and serving the word mm -hmm. of God? What is that goal? The goal is for you to have an encounter with our Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. The goal is for you to, just what you were saying, for you to receive what you need. You know, we all come in the church. The church is um, it's, it's a spiritual hospital, right. really. Mm -hmm. We come in for healing. Mm -hmm. Some of us need healing physically. Some of us need healing from a broken heart. Some of us need healing from you know, the stress that we've been under. Mm -hmm. um, you want to be refreshed. Mm -hmm. You want to be renewed, your mm -hmm. mind to be renewed. Mm -hmm. You want to be a place of escape where you forget about your problems. Right. <laughs> and you forget about everything that you're going through so that you can receive the wisdom you need, the love you need, the power you need. A lot of times you have to be reminded of who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, so many times we can focus on what we don't have. We forget the blessings that we already have. There you go. Um, and so it's a great place to come to. And like you said, so that you can learn to, forg to forgive. Yes. Because a lot of times people will walk in unforgiveness and they think they're hurting the other person, but un unforgiveness only hurts you. Absolutely. It brings, yeah, it weighs you down, you know? Mm -hmm. And so our goal is always for people to have an encounter with Jesus, to have an encounter with the love of God, because it's through that supernatural touch that your life is changed. So when you go back out, um, you'll go back out different and seeing things from a different perspective. Well, we're talking to CC Wine and her hit album, uh, Believe For It, is, uh, is, is, is incredible. You should, like she said, you know, she, was, she was wondering how to record it because of COVID. She lost a 4,000-seat audience. Then she, she brought, like, I love what she said. I brought 50 people in there, Rashad, who knew how to pray. You know, they knew how to pray. Because if you've been to a real church, you sit next to somebody who know how to pray, you go, you got you. Whoever you're talking to, can you let me talk to them too? Because they praying over there, okay? Can I get in that conversation? Because you got it all going on right there. But I just want to talk before I let you go about being a trailblazer. Because, you know, we sit up here and talk about not, you know, resistant to change. But in 1999, you launched the Pure Springs Gospel Record label. Okay, now, see, see, that's why I got to bring up. See, I love talking to people like CC because they, they act like they, well, you know, I don't like change, Rishon, but sitting right out there doing change, making change with everybody's going, why you doing that, girl? Just go sign that label over there with that record label. They go, let get that check. Do your own thing. You're doing too much work. But in 1999, that didn't work for you. Tell us about that as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. Well, you know, you, when you, you know, you, when I began in this business again, you're, you're young and you're just excited about doing what you do as far as the gift of singing, but you, you find out early on that it's a business, mm -hmm. you know, that the record business is a business <laughs> and, um, and you go through a few things that you recognize, Oh, this is the way it works. This is what makes sense. You know, you're spending your, your time, you're giving everything you have. You want to have something to show for it. You know, you want to be, you want to be a wise uh, steward over mm -hmm. what God has given you. And so I had wonderful people around me to let me know you could do it. That, that encouraged me. Cause a mm -hmm. lot of times we look at things Richard, and we think that it's, it's too hard. It's something that we can't do. It's not that people don't want to do it all the time. A lot of times they feel like they're, um, 
you know, don't have what it takes. Right. But but everybody can learn. Yes. You know, you have mm-hmm. to be patient mm-hmm. and you have to ask questions. And so we were able to do that and start our own label years ago. And I'm so glad I did. <laughs> it made a major difference mm-hmm. in, in what I was seeing before mm-hmm. from my labor mm-hmm. um, and what I was seeing afterwards. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I started educating people and telling people that, yeah, if I could, if I did it, you can do it, too. Right. Right. You can do it, too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends um, embraced that, mm-hmm. you know, in the industry and, and started thinking from the entrepreneur side opposed to um, just being an talent. artist, mm-hmm. you know, but talent. understanding the importance of of owning and the importance of being in charge, the importance of, because that's another thing, especially as a gospel artist, you want to make sure that when you talk about your brand, that you're having the last say so. Right. Um, because it's not about me. I represent the father. I represent um, the one who created all things and who mm-hmm. gave us this gift. And and my my aim when you were talking about the goal, even in church, is that people will have an encounter with Jesus, that they will receive um, supernatural peace and and hope and and all of those good things that God brings. And so it's so important to protect your brand um, when it comes to that as well. You have to go. You have to go above and beyond. Yes. Yes. Not, you know because it's not about me, but it's about the people that we serve that they will be touched with um, in the right way. And so, yeah, being an entrepreneur, yeah, you have to be more into the details, but it's 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 so worth it in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I want to encourage people to, to think differently, to mm-hmm. understand that you can be a, a business owner. Mm-hmm. You, you want to be involved in, in, in what's happening, not just in your life, but all the opportunities that are out here, even during this pandemic, even though a lot of things closed down, a lot of things opened up. Yes, they did. You know, Mm -hmm. and again, it's how do you look at it? Mm -hmm. Do you look at it as, oh no, or do you look at it as, could this be an opportunity? Is this, is there an opportunity here for me? And praying and asking God, you know, Lord, you've given me gifts. We all have individual gifts. Yes, we do. And very unique gifts. Mm -hmm. And, and, and if you pray and ask the Lord to show you, (laughs) he will, he'll show you. And before you know it, you'll be operating in a, in a whole different way and your whole life will be affected by it. Wow. Like I said earlier, there's no stopping C.C. Winers. <laughs> 12 times Grammy Award winner, 23 times Dove Awards winner, 15 times Stella Award winner. But more importantly, she has a hit album out called Believe For It. It is it's a bomb changed my life. Like I said, you know, the pandemic, I was watching Netflix, Amazon. Then it came across the stream. I saw her live. I said, woo, CC back. Lord have mercy. I got to spread the word. And I'm glad you came on Money Making Conversations, CC, because I'm going to spread the word Thank even you. more. You know I'm going to spread the word even more. I got you on my show. I'm spread the word for real now, girl. For real now. Honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, you, thank you so you. much. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. 
You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. I sat down with my man, Todd Delaney. At the age of 18, he was focusing on pursuing his baseball career and was drafted by the New York Mets. During his pursuit, he realized there was a higher calling on his life and left the world of sports to pursue a career as a gospel recording artist. He is revered as one of the influencers of the next generation of gospel music. Here's what Todd Delaney had to say. The crazy thing about how much we put so much emphasis on sports in in America. Like, if you make it to the top in sports, they think that's the greatest thing. But for me, impact, impact was the the greatest thing. I said, man, how can I impact the world? Don't ever chase the dollar. You know what I'm saying? It's not the the dollar. Chase the impact. How Mm -hmm. can you make an impact on other people's lives and the money will chase you? And so I'm in a really beautiful place right now. If you were to listen to this full interview with Todd Delaney, it's available on moneymakingconversation.com. Now let's return to Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Patricia Williams, a.k.a. Miss Pat. She's a comedian, author, podcaster, and actress who brings a raw, in-your-face, hilarious perspective to her comedy stand-up. Her new multi-camera series based on Miss Pat, her life. Her series is now streaming on BET+, The Miss Pat Show, produced by Oscar winner Lee Daniels, which premiered on BET+, August 12th fantastic show. I've seen four episodes. It's based on her life. It tells the stories of a former convicted felon turned uh, turns a bourbon mob whose hustle and resilient spirit was forged on the streets of Atlanta. To get a sitcom is at BET+. A series was initially set up at Fox. It's a journey. She didn't like just pop on TV. It was initially set up at Fox in 2017, 2016, 2017, then moved to Hulu in the fall of 2019, and eventually landed at BET+, in 2020. And now we all get to see and experience this incredibly talented young lady and amazing cast, by the way, because you can't do this. She was a stand-up comic by herself. On this show, she got some funny people. It's a new sitcom. Going back on the road, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about building your dream. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation somebody that came into my life via a newspaper article in 2017, Patricia Williams, <laughs> a.k.a. Miss Pat. How you doing? How you doing? Thank you for having me. Well, first of all, did I say enough about you, or, or do can I say some more, Miss Pat? Come on now. <laughs> I think you said enough about me. Well, first of all, let's get started about uh, why stand up. Why are you a stand up comedian? Um, I never thought I was funny. I never wanted to be a stand up comedian. Uh, people just in my neighborhood and in my life was like, you know, you really should push. You should really think about being a comedian. Mm-hmm. A trip to the welfare office. The lady was like, you. You know, we had to pick careers. I never forget. Bill Clinton was the president, and that was the first person I voted for. Mm-hmm. He started the welfare to work program, so it's time to get a career. No longer watch the younger the restless. <laughs> and so, I was, <laughs> which pisses me off because I was like, "How are you gonna make me get behind on the young and the restless?" Mm-hmm. But make a long story short, a caseworker was like, "You should really." you know, looking to stand up. You're so funny. And I'm like, oh, no, I want to be a nurse. He's like, no, you should be, you should look in the stand up. And then I realized I'm a convicted felon and nobody was going to ever give me a job as a nurse. <laughs> I just decided to start it. I went to an open mic. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I, I'm being a former comedian. I guess I can always say I'm a comedian, okay? I've done enough in my life from Steph Comedy Jam to BET Comic View. That open mic, just walking on that stage the very first time. Because you, because like you, people told me I was funny. 
And then I had to be convinced by my sister and her and my nephew. I would do comedy routines in front of them on the, in their living room. And they said, that's funny. That's funny. You should do that. We should do that. How did you put together your first five minutes to go on stage, Miss Pat? I went to this place that was near my house called The Pub. And it was just a bunch of open micros. And I didn't, I didn't even know you're supposed to put together anything. My literally my first joke was about my brother being a fat cat burglar. So I just went and I just went and told a story that I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I went from there and they laughed. And I was like, I went home and I told my husband, I said, guess what? I'm a comedian. And he's like, please go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Now, what, what what year was that? What year was that when you walked on stage? I think it was early 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. something like that. Well, we know we all have dreams. I know when I started doing stand-up, Eddie Murphy was the talk of the land. Richard Pryor was the king of comedy. And then as you see the evolve, you know, when I managed Steve Harvey in 2000, the original <laughs> kings of comedy came out and Bernie Mac hit the streets and Dio Hugo hit the streets. Cedric Taylor became a Super Bowl commercial star and Steve Harvey became a radio star and was a television star at the time on WB. What influences did you have, Miss Pat, to start? Like you said, you know, you're still a naturally talented person. Did anybody influence you as a comedian, an actress or a singer? No, I didn't know anything about comedy. Honestly, um, I thought Richard Pryor was just, you know, an actor. So I didn't I didn't really dig into comedy. And when I started to open mic and people would say, you got these crazy stories and you rem- you remind me of Richard Pryor. And I'm like, he's an actor. And he's like, he was a comedian. So I just started to do my research and I was like, I am a storyteller. Right. So I got heavily into watching Bill Cosby because he's, he's a great, he's a great uh, storyteller. Absolutely. And I got into um, Richard Pryor, and I realized that my stories were more like Rich Richard, you know, in your face, honestly, honest, and I like to put them together the way Bill Cosby did, because they were so great at storytelling. So those two was kind of my biggest influence, you know, when I really dug into, I wanted to be a comedian. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that, because, uh, you know, when I see your stand-up, it, Yes, it is the storytelling, but it's the rawness of Red Fox that I see and in you. And Mm -hmm. I see it because of the fact that you're just talking. You know what I'm saying? And and I think that, you know, hit hit me out on this because it's a compliment about you and your talents. And it's that there is a filter, and I don't think you have it. Okay. <laughs> you don't have it. You, 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 you I would just tell everybody right. she don't have a filter. This woman I'm talking to here right here, if it's if it's if it's in her front of her head, it's gonna come out of her mouth. Okay. And and that's a beauty because that's why she's on this show. That's why she's a show on BT. That's why she's a successful stand-up comedian. That's why she goes on the on she her name appears on the billboard and ad her shows sell out. Let's gonna be honest about that. So now Red Fox, which was my era growing up because he was an influence, but he wasn't, you know, like I say, I was influenced by, you know, I, I knew about uh, Bill Cosby. I was like over, just in awe of uh, of uh, uh, Richard Pryor. But you, when I see Red Fox, I see this uncanny ability to stay street and then, but relatable because it's about your personal life. Am I am I hitting it right for you, Miss Pat? Because you didn't mention Red Fox. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 
I think I didn't mention Red Fox because I didn't follow a lot of his comedy. You know, I just know Red Fox really from Sanford and Son, but I know how funny he was. But I was able to find a lot more Richard Pryor material when I first started. Right. And that was made me really wanted to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Well, Richard Pryor lied. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard Richard, I've heard Red Fox before. I mean, it's either, either I get Richard, Burning Mac, or Red Fox. That's what people come up and tell me. Well, I'm telling you something, all that's complimentary, okay, when you talk about what you're trying to do. Because, you know, like you said, you didn't really have any history or any want to be a stand-up comedian or an actress, for that matter. You know, mm-hmm. you were just a person who, unfortunately, was a felon, uh, had spent, had, had jail time, like no different than comedian Tim Allen, who hosted Home Improvement. He had jail, he spent significant jail time and also came over and became a, a hit sitcom star. And the fact that you say Sanford and Son, and I was telling my staff today when I came in that I saw, so I saw four episodes of this show, and I said it's very groundbreaking to me. I said I haven't seen a show, especially a black show, that was this authentic since Sanford and Son. And Sanford and Son, the reason I say that Sanford and Son at the time would actually say the N word on network television, mm-hmm. and 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 because that was that was Red was gonna keep it real. If 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 you use it in <laughs> off camera, he gonna use it on camera, and he would ask you why. Now we're on BT Plus, so you know there's some cussing going on. Yo, y'all get y'all get as they say, y'all get wild. Y'all get wild on BT Plus. Okay? <laughs> y'all talking, y'all talking, walking. And that Tammy Roman, I'm gonna tell you something. That girl right there, you, you got a co-star of co-stars right there. That young lady's funny, child. I did not know that about Wait. Tammy Roman. I want to know how y'all cast Tammy Roman, because Tammy Roman is gonna be a star. This young lady right yes. now, I've seen four episodes, so don't tell me I just saw the pilot. She's just funny in the pilot. I saw episode two. I saw episode three. I saw episode four. Your butt is funny. Your husband's butt is funny. That little bitty boy is funny. And your daughter, who thinks she know everything, funny. Your lazy 28-year-old son. Your daughter who comes in later because she because you just kind of like disenfranchised her. That whole episode is very groundbreaking as far as the language from a gay community standpoint coming out of your mouth, being able to say that and get away with it and then have morality tied to it. And I'm just being me. What's the problem? And I walked through, I said, did she say that? But I'm just saying all these things to everybody who's watching and listening to this interview. We're talking to the next next. And the reason I say that, I can't say who she is, but I just know right now I'm talking to a young lady right now that I'm interviewing on Money Making Conversation. It's not only brilliant, but she's career defining in her path and she's authentic and she's original. That's who you are, Miss Pratt. I'm not closing out this interview. It might sound like an interview closeout. I'm just telling you, I'm just, I just got to put it out there early in this conversation with people listening to me because they know I tell the truth. You special young lady. But talk about Tammy Rowe. Well, uh, it was funny because this show was created with me and a 23 year old kid who had, uh, was in college at the time. Never wrote anything but a uh, play that was at the public in New York. And that was my third writer. And Lee Daniel was like, I'm going to go to the street and find you a writer because I really think it's something here. So I said, OK, Lee, whatever. He found this kid on my birthday, flew me out from wherever I was performing it. And make a long story short, I meet him and we get to talking and, you know, we create the pilot ourselves when they say we couldn't do it. And they, he get a job and he tells me because we, we really close. 
He's 23 years old, and we call him the dreamer now. He's like, I know who you're going to be your husband, and I know who's going to be your sister. And so he pulled Tammy Roman up in the bonnet chronic, chronic that she does on Instagram. And I was like, no, that lady crazy. She's not going to be my sister. He was like, I'm telling you, y'all are so good. Y'all like Lucy and Elton and mm-hmm. da, da, da. And I was like, no. And so... And then and later on, I found out she was a reality star. Right. And I was like, dude, I don't want a reality star on the show. I want real actors because this is my first acting gig. He's like, no, Pat, just listen. So we 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 auditioned, we auditioned, and I found a girl that I thought I really liked. So we, she had number one by her name. In walked Tammy Roman with the nails painted, just, just looked <laughs> like this character from top to toe. And I didn't like her. I did not like her. But baby, when she walked out of that room and I looked at everybody, I was like, there goes Denise. <laughs> <laughs> she came and she stole the, she stole the job. I mean, literally, she we didn't hand her anything because, you know, all because she had a name. We wasn't trying to get people with Instagram followers. We was trying to get real actors. And when I tell you, real actors are real actors. When I tell you this girl came into that room and stole that job, right. stole that job. And the chemistry that we have on set is like, unreal you know it's like like we you can the, the way the way this the way this show was cast you were like i almost believe this is a real family from the husband to all the kids right you know we right. we, we didn't leave no stone un, uh unturned and but she did a wonderful job and i'm so happy that people can see another light of tammy because there's like she's a actress. i'm like this, this girl can act mm-hmm. her behind off and funny I'm gonna tell you something. Because I know Tammy all the way back to Steve Harvey's sitcom on WB. That's when I first knew she could act. You know, she did a she did a, a couple of cameos on his series way back then. Then she went into this reality star role. And so when I started reading the credits, I go, Tammy Roma and doing the stand up, doing doing comedy. And the the first scene that she comes in, that she just lays it out there. Go her timing, and uh, and it was you know acquire me. I'm just not gonna tell y'all what that means. They tried to acquire me, you know. And uh, <laughs> y'all look at the show. Y'all just look at the show. Y'all find out what that means. That that's a but that sets the temple of who she is. She's as they say, my mom would tell me she's shiftless, she's lazy, she has no aspirations, but she got a sister. And the sister got patience with her, and the family got patience with her. She thinks she's a know-it-all. But when you when you have a person like that who comes in, who you 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 didn't think it was the one. Now, Pat, you didn't think this was wrong. You're on your show, you know, Miss Pat. I want actresses. I want people I've seen on TV. And it's so funny because when I when I listened to this interview, you didn't watch TV. You didn't watch movies. You didn't know nothing about the history of stand-up comedy. So I'm trying to figure out how you making decisions when you talk about she can't do the job. And you, you know about four or five people on your hand. That's all you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 not a, I'm a comedian, but I don't watch reality shows. Right. I'm more of a, I'm an ex drug dealer, so I like gangster movies. You know, like Narcos, The Wire. I watch those kind oh, of. I don't yeah. watch those. Oh, pick yeah. me up and throw me off the boat. You know, I don't watch that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Um, so, so you Narco, you Narco. So you watch Narco on Netflix. Yeah. Oh, you my girl there. You my girl right there. See, uh, but Queen of the South. Come on now. Uh, uh, Handmaid's Tale. I like that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, come on now. So, Handmaid's Tale well, is not drug dealing now. Handmaid's Tale is uh, not. Well, it is a place where they cutting off things. Though. I mean, I was, it, it caught my eye. I like, I like Handmaid's Tale. So when she came along, I mean, she just, she just fit the bill. She really did. And I, I remember talking, she said, you know, people like, I know you what you probably heard about me. I said, I have never heard anything about you. 
Because right. I didn't even know who you was until we started casting. And I said, look, I take people for who they are, right. not for what somebody else say you did. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Hey, I, mm-hmm. I don't come prove to me who you are. I, I, don't, I don't dislike you for what somebody else dislike you for. Mm-hmm. I get to know people. Mm-hmm. And I got mm-hmm. to know her. And she, I mean, she is just a wonderful person to work with. You know, and I, one thing about me, I'm real. So I, I, I set my cast down and I said, hey, we're not going to worry about no call sheet. Who's first on the call sheet? Who's a star? I said, because this is all of our show. Yes, it takes all of us to get this done. Thank you. I said, you know, the, the only difference is, is it got my name on it. I'm no fool. I know it's my show. I said, but I can't do it without you guys. Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. all stars. And I just broke down that, that Hollywood barrier from the day mm-hmm. one. The only difference is all paychecks. Mm. Right. Here's a, here's a funny part about that speech she just gave. She said, you know, I need all y'all, you know. You know, don't worry about that call sheet, but my name on the show. So don't get stupid now. You get stupid. <laughs> that, on, on that one day you get stupid and forget that, I'm going to remind you, this Miss Pat. And I'm Patricia Williams. Straight out the street, former drug dealer, convicted fella. I will show you a part of reality that you don't want to see about me. And that's what the reality <laughs> of this show is, bringing all these individual girls. I know I'm just talking about Tammy Roman from a stand-up comedian, from a, from a comedic standpoint, how she stood out. But your husband, he's funny. Your young son's funny. Let's talk about that opening. And like I said, the show opens you with her talking, you know, because I'm not going to give away the show too much. But then it transitions into her house. And it is oh, the plane. Huh? The plane. It's going, it's going to the plane. Right. And it, it right, right. And it's it's really like I said, it's really so slick the way you guys are doing it, and it's so entertaining. You know, I I, I was really fascinated about and some of my questions were from a production standpoint. Some of my questions were how much were you involved when you with this whole creative cold opening and the character setup and also the scripts do you do you it to play with hey I don't like that line could I say that line do they shoot several scenes and this is a scene from the script and they go do your thing scene because a lot of times when they have talented comedians like you they go hey okay this is a script but do your thing on this one Miss Pat how does that work no actually uh, we had writers we had writers honestly mm-hmm. but that was not one script that we didn't go back and touch Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can have anybody can, you know, mostly writers with this show is there to to build a form yes. because it's such my voice. So I have to touch every strip. Yes. And and some of it had to be totally rewritten. Absolutely. Totally rewritten. So to, to bob it down to it, me and the co-creator, Jordan Cooper, wrote every strip. Mm-hmm. We wrote on every strip. Mm-hmm. So, um uh, uh, only me and him was allowed to change things. Uh-huh. You know, uh, it was never like do your thing because I felt like we wrote these strips uh, funny enough that we everybody should be able to follow the strip. Now, we did make up some stuff on the floor. Right. And as far as production and all of that stuff you see opening, that came from this 23-year-old. He's 26 now. 26-year-old kid I did. All of that plain opening and the way I do the monologues and the comedy up front, all of that stuff came from him. You know, we literally wrote each one of those monologues the day before I was supposed to shoot them. It did all the comedy in there up front uh, to tell you what the show was about, how the show opened, a lot of that stuff was wrote at the last minute. 
Now, and it wasn't easy either. Oh, absolutely. Now, 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 your 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 surge to comedy stardom. Like I said, I talked about when you first, when the series was first picked up on Fox in 2016, and you recently did a Netflix fest special, and you know, COVID came out, so they cut down. You couldn't tour, taking advantage of all that great notoriety. And we know stand-up comedians, we make our money live, and so now you have this amazing sitcom on BT Plus called Miss Pat. Okay. What's, what's what we gonna see? Uh, comedy clubs out of you gonna see three thousand seaters? Are we gonna see? Uh, are we gonna see uh, United Center? Are you gonna see Madison Square Garden? What are we gonna see out of Miss Pat? Are you gonna come back and do the State Farm, you know, arena by yourself? What what are we gonna do here in Atlanta, Georgia? What are we gonna do, Miss Pat? I'm just putting you on the spot, young lady. Come on now. Well, I hope you know I, I'm open for theaters and stuff like that. Hoping, now, hoping. <laughs> come on now. You're way too confident to be sitting up here hoping. Don't be humble on this show. You, your I'm talent doesn't humble. allow you to be humble. Come on, you are in your face. You're special. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to moving into theaters. I'm doing really well in clubs right now. I'm looking. I'm looking forward. You know, I I like the intimates of a club. Yes, ma'am. But I understand that my career is growing a lot. That I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna work myself to death. Thank doing you. Doing nine and ten shows because I'm for, I'm 49 years old. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to whatever you know the career brings. I'm. I love people. I love doing stand up. Stand up is number one for me because it's the only thing that I can't control. Right. You know, as far as um, a TV show, it say the Miss Pat show, but BT Plus and Fox own that show, so I work for them. You mm-hmm. know, the, mm-hmm. the good part about it, my name is on it, but in the end, it's their show. They bought it, so I focus on what I can control, which is my stand up. So you will be seeing a people can know that you'll be seeing a lot more of my stand-up because that's where I grind the heart is at. Now, let's let's talk about, you know, you know, because, you know, you can get popular a lot of ways nowadays through social media, through YouTube channel. Now, what impact did, of popularity did the Netflix special have on your career? Netflix helped me out a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And honestly, they, they're really nice over there. I've worked with them a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're getting ready to uh, shoot my first special when, when, when we're ready. But um, um, that, doing that, that quarter hour helped out a lot. Uh, also doing the cabin on, with Bert Kreischer on there, all of that stuff. Everything to me is a piece of the puzzle to put my career into place. Mm-hmm. So those little pieces, that those chips that Netflix had me, it was just another piece. This, this show that BT Plus had me, it's another piece. Mm-hmm. All of it's just a puzzle to me, and we're putting it together. Now, okay, now now we've got BT Plus. The show is premiered in August. Have you been able to start feel a shift of, like, people like me getting excited about you, people in the street going in the grocery store? I know we're wearing masks, and someplace you're not wearing masks. How is that affecting you? Are you are you feeling are you feeling see see Miss Pat you know you know you, you kind of got that 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 sinister smile you know I don't know if you're happy I don't know if you're ready to punch me in the forehead where are you at with your life are you happy with with what's happening are you happy with the popularity that this new series is bringing into your life talk to us about that I mean I'm very happy uh, the show just premiered last week so mm-hmm. I haven't been I'm, I'm on a set right now if you look mm-hmm. behind me I'm in a trail I'm shooting another pilot uh-huh. so I haven't been outside where people are like oh my god that's Miss Pat mm-hmm. so I haven't been to the airport I won't know until next week so I mean I'm getting I'm getting noticed a lot more now but you know I pop up in places people don't expect me to pop up at. hey my, my, my beauty salon is right there on Hill Street in Atlanta and I walk in and I'm like what the heck are you doing here 
I'm right. here to get my wig put on like you're here to get your wig put on. <laughs> so, um, nothing has really changed. Like, everybody's like, what do it feel like? Uh, it feels like I need to go to work. That's right. why That's right. why I'm here. Right. I'm working. So, I don't really get caught up in the fame and all of that stuff. And I don't need you to open no door for me. And I drive myself right now. Uh, it just worked for me. And I'm happy to see that people are starting to notice how hard I work mm-hmm. to get where I'm at. So that's what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Just people like, oh, my God, I didn't know you was there. Oh, this show is really good. It took five years for this show to get on TV. Mm-hmm. What a, three networks, three writers on a lot of tears. Well, that that that's the part that I like about you, you know, because of the fact that a lot of people see Hollywood. They see this sitcom. If, they, if I don't bring that up in my intro and we're talking honestly about it, people say, oh, she went to, it, it, it just happened. No, 2016, she thought it was going to happen. So that was a high. For her, Fox, and then and then 2019, Hulu, that was another high for her. When you went to BET Plus, what was your emotion at that point? Were you like, whatever, you know, I, I see it when I see it, and the, the because it went to some more advanced steps that made you feel it was going to happen. Where were you at? And then, like I said, I'm over here, you know, just oogling and just gushing about how brilliant you are and how I just I'm in love with Miss Pat and the show <laughs> on BET Plus. Where were you at each one of those steps in 2016, 2019, and then in 2020? Well, in 2016, when, when I got the holding deal and we found a writer, I was happy. I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm finally going to get a show. And things didn't work out, so we switched the writer, and then we went to another writer. Things didn't work out again, so I started to lose confidence. And then I said, you know what? If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Right. I'm so happy I had Lee Daniel there to say, look, and my friend John Rattler, one of the producers that helped found me, he was like, it's going to happen sometime when it's great. It just takes a longer time. I'll never forget, one of the producers named Francis told me that. So I said, okay, that's fine. And uh, we ended up getting a writer, and then we shot, we shoot the pilot. And I, and I kept telling everybody, they're not going to pick it up. My spirit told me Hulu was not going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Hulu dropped it. And I was like, okay, Hulu, uh, what are we going from here? Right. And then he was like, I will find you home. When BET Plus popped up, my first thing was, well, what the hell is BET Plus? <laughs> I didn't even know BET had a plus. And it was like, BET Plus picked it up. And they're going to give y'all guys 10 episodes. I was like, what is that? They was like, they just started a new streaming service. And it's, uh, it, at the time, it was like maybe a year old. Absolutely. And absolutely. Look it up, they only got a million uh, subscribers. You can't, you know, it's a kind of shift shift in your happenings. Like, wow, we went from Hulu to here. And so I had to tell the co-creator, I said, let me tell you something about life I've learned. You have to learn to mess with people who mess with you. Mm-hmm. So just because you want to be over there with all the big fish, maybe this is where we're supposed to be. And so I remember when I got to meet them and things started to get rolling. And I just told them, I said, I think that this show is going to be your Handmaid's Tales mm-hmm. like it was mm-hmm. to Hulu. Because handmaid still put Hulu on. That's the Absolutely. only reason why I ever subscribe to it. I said, I said, if you if you allow us to do what we want to do and, and support us, I we I think we can be your handmaid's tale. And it launched and people went crazy. There you go. See, I've been waiting on that. So you would see that's all. So you had to know something. People went crazy like me. Going crazy for Miss Pat. <laughs> She's a star. Uh Patricia Williams. 
aka Miss Pat, BET Plus, subscribe to it, The Miss Pat Show. Not only is she brilliant, but the cast, like I said, I, I just, uh, Tammy Roman, if you just know her as a reality star, you watch this show, you're going to know her as a comedy star. The other cast members are fantastic. The writing is great. But more importantly, it's original. I told my staff today, I said, I felt like I was watching a modern-day version of Sanford and Son from a stylistic, from an organic, from an original point of view because you're breaking so many walls down and you're doing it with grace. You're doing it with elegance. You may not have wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but you're a queen of comedy now, young lady. So you keep winning, okay? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. You are doing it. Don't do it. I'm trying. You are a beast. You are a beauty queen of comedy, okay? Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm thank working you. hard. I mean, all I can do is put it out there. Is The public will let you know what they like and well, they guess don't what? like. The public is letting you know. Uh, and uh, like I said, you will be the, as they say, the, uh, the the anchor of that network, which is BET Street Plus Streaming. And believe me, every day your episodes on, they get more subscribers because of you. And I want to thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations, okay? Thank you for having me. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. This week I sat down with Dillard Hospitality Group owner Michelle Snoop Dillard. There's nothing this serial entrepreneur can't do. With five restaurants, three salons, suites, two tourism and travel agency, a charity organization, real estate investments, and a business consulting agency, she still found time to start a new mentorship program that speaks to the importance of good credit and putting your business back on the fast track to success. Who is Snoop's world to millions? mentorship program. I pretty much started this mentorship program during COVID. Um, one of the things that I did while we were shut down was to film various courses that I felt would be helpful uh, to people who wanted to get into entrepreneurship, um, who wanted to start saving and investing, um, who wanted to get into restaurant ownership. Um, and then also during COVID, um, I took a course myself. If you were to hear this full interview with Michelle Snoop Diller, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. Now let's return to Money Making conversation with Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Jay Arrington Gavin. While doing research for the right ingredients for his beard in 2016, I don't have a beard like him. He got a beard. You know, I, I, I'm just happy with what I got. <laughs> Jay Arrington began to share his findings and use his family and friends as human testers. He then went on to receive his bachelor's degree in wellness, recreation, and sports in 2017. His passion for the art of human body left him with a burning desire to help individuals accomplish their personal best by living a healthy lifestyle through fitness and wellness. From that desire, gave birth to Rugged Evolution, a Beer Carolina product that he makes available to other men of distinction. He's a good friend of mine, a young friend of mine, and I've been like to believe I've been mentoring him and helping him along the way. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the CEO and founder of Rugged Evolution, Jay Arrington Gavin. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, my friend. How you been? <laughs> well, first of all, you, you're smiling, man, and uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's been a fun journey. First of all, how's your mom? I gotta, I gotta say hi to mom, okay? My Mom is doing awesome. She's doing, everyone's doing great, healthy, vaccinated. Everybody's doing great. I, I know that's that's really key. And uh, in the business that you're in, it's dealing with look, it's dealing with facial, it's dealing with people uh, in close quarters sometimes. Talk about your business during the COVID. And did you have to make any adjustments during the pandemic when the country shut down? Did it, it impact you positively? Did you do a PPP? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the whole process in 2020. 
Well, 2020, we were very fortunate. Um, for one, we are an e-commerce site, uh, but we are located in um, our products are sold in um, uh, selected brick and mortar stores in Hampton Roads, Virginia. But actually, during the during that time, I was moving into a much larger office space uh, mm-hmm. in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. So when when the whole shutdown was going, I was moving on up to a much bigger office and warehouse space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, continue to grow and grow. Uh, sales were still uh, you know still steady, uh, mm-hmm. but we were very fortunate. Um, uh, yeah, we were we were very blessed really during uh, during COVID. But it was still an adjustment because you had to get creative. Um, right. I, I think whenever a new obstacle comes upon uh, comes my way, it helps me grow as a business owner and as an entrepreneur. So with that being said, we we got more creative with things, um, did stuff uh, a lot more virtual. We did a lot of um, Facebook Live right. mm-hmm. uh, during the um, during COVID just to continue to stay relevant to people that do follow us. Uh, almost kind of like a QB theme style uh, right. mm-hmm. uh, Facebook Live. So we were re- doing very good and adjusting and getting really creative during uh, during the COVID. Well, I'm going to tell you, you now, and this is what we talked about a long time ago, about you being the face of your brand. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, uh, little, 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 the confidence wasn't there. You know, uh, I remember one time we did an interview and you said, you know, so many times, hey, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Gavin, look, we want to do this interview again. I'm not putting you out there like that, young man. And you understood what I was talking about because I had your best interest. And you did yes, it again. And look at you now. You got a podcast. I won't get too farther in the interview. I can see the confidence in how you're talking and articulation. Talk about that growth, man. And then also talk about the responsibility of becoming the face of your brand and being able to articulate the value of your brand from your personal point of view. Well, you, you said the the, the- the very first interview uh, that I had with you, Mr. McDonald, I was nervous. You can hear you can hear the nerves <laughs> in me, like you said. Um, I definitely took all your advice to heart, learned, grew more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the vending shows that I attended, I looked at that as a form of you know working on my speaking, talking in public mm-hmm. with people, mm-hmm. uh, promoting my brand, that confidence booster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was everything was growth. Whether it was um, uh, especially being the face of, of my business and of my brand, mm-hmm. um, if I don't show that confidence, nobody's going to believe in my brand. Mm-hmm. So I had to build up that confidence and had mm-hmm. to uh, definitely continue to educate myself. I educate myself every day with my products, the type of ingredients I put in my products, mm-hmm. uh, you know, new things, uh, old things, making sure I'm not behind, but ahead of the game at all, at all times. And um, that's really how I uh, continue to grow and grow uh, every day. And um, it's, it's, I always think of the the first uh, the first time I was on the show, and it's it's it's, it's always a I always have to laugh at myself. So, well, there's just by growth, you know, it's about being yep. able to be honest, and that's what I've done all my life. You know, I always like mentored and uplift and made sure that people understand their skill. You you didn't saw you didn't see what I saw in you at the time. You know, you were you were a guy who was the CEO of a company. You was very young when you started it. You know, you've been wearing you've been having a full beard since you were 14 years old. And then, so all these things, God put you in a position, then you had to understand how you can create value from that. You know what I'm saying? So, but but what I've noticed the most is before we even get into the products, and I'm just going to use the word evolution, is how beards have taken on a life of their own, kind of like what Michael Jordan did with the bald hair 
bald head <laughs> when he shaved his head playing basketball. Talk about that. Then, you know, you have a lot of famous people in the NBA who have really marketed their beards and things like that. So, but outside of them, just the, oh, the, the it's cool to wear a beard. It, it, it always <laughs> was kind of cool, but it feels like it's really come out into the forefront. And that's why a brand like yours is starting to benefit because you're providing beard care, beard care products. Yeah, so I, I always love to say, you know, in previous years, beards were always, like you said, was always cool, but it was still a form of like, you know, if you have this interview, be sure to shave that off. Be, right. If you have this job, be sure to shave this off. So I've always wanted to promote that whether you work in corporate America or whether you are a labor worker, you can still be a man of distinction while rocking a well-groomed beard. Um, it's, not a, it's not a trend now. It is a movement. Um, you see men of higher power. You see men uh, at, you know, uh, mid-level jobs and or even all all jobs they're rocking facial hair beards mustache goatee it's nothing wrong with it so um as far as the evolution of growing it is starting to grow and show that you can still be a man distinction have that confidence while rocking a, a, a well-groomed beard well like i said now the, the, there are different layers of beard. you have the goatee talk about mm-hmm. you know we say beard beard care products but you have goatees you have mustache all your products can work in that in, in that care care line because you should take care of your mustache you should take mm-hmm. care of all this stuff so let's not just say if you don't have if you just have a beard you you then that's what your product is for your product is for any facial hair correct yes sir it is for all facial hair types our product because at the end of the day fa- our facial hair fellows are the magnet to bacteria and grease whether you have a thin shadow whether you have just a mustache whether you have the the, the Van Dyke, the the, the goatee, mm-hmm. the the beard, it's still the magnets of bacteria in Greece. And if you don't take care of that, right now we're in a warmer climate. So when we sweat a lot, all mm-hmm. that sweat, it builds up to that facial hair and it starts, and then you start having the odor, the itchy irritation on the skin, mm-hmm. uh, bacteria. So you don't want that. So you always need to have a great product uh, with, uh, with you in order to maintain that. Uh, because at the end of the day, I always say, you got to take care of your body internally as well as externally. I'm going to tell you something, everybody. I I've, I do use Rugged Evolution products. Uh, he sent me the that little round brush. I don't know if you still, because I got two of them, that little round brush. That round, and my wife would look at me. She said, it really does. You know, when, I, when I would brush my brush, she said, it really does make a big difference in how <laughs> I would, of all my products, you know, I got everything. I got, I got the, 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 the fork. I got the, the, the little small, but I, I get that little round brush, man. And it would make a, and I, and I would, you know, a lot of people come to me, try to use their product, but nobody, uh, touches that brush, man. We're going to talk about other products, but I want to let you know that brush, that, that, that travels with me. I got, I bought another one. I keep one at the office. I keep one at home. And I keep one in my travel bag. I got three of them. <laughs> well, that's good because see that brush, when you brush twice a day, what that does, that stimulates the hair follicles. So you always want to brush twice a day helps open up those hair follicles. So that's a really great thing. Why you continue to maintain it and why your wife saw you said, I see a difference by you. Know, oh, you she, I would do it in the mirror and right next to her. And she go, if she could see the side, just <laughs> laid my hair down. Right. And then, you know, cause your hair would kind of like start separating, but it would bring it all together. Give me a, a fullness. I guess that's what it would mm-hmm. do. It would give me a fullness to my beard, no matter what level. Now, what I'm not trying to give away any trade secrets. What made your brush, of, of, of one that affected my beard versus other competition because that hairbrush is is uh, fantastic. Well, the key thing is uh, the types of uh, bristles. I have one brush right here on the table. This is one of our oblong brushes. 
those boar bristles are is what key. You never want uh, anything too hard because our skin is very sensitive. So you don't want to have something, you know, scratching the skin at all. You want to have a, a boar bristle. Boar bristles is like uh, almost in between. It's right. slightly hard, but very soft. So, right. and it always stays consistent too. Right. And then, uh, and then I like to call it the, the little eyedropper. You need to put the eyedropper, put it on your beard, make your beard shiny. So I got a little, I, I can't ever give you a technical word, but I know I pull that little eyedropper out, man. Put a couple of it in my hand, put it like that, put it on my, my beard, be looking shiny. Then I get that brush right behind it. If I if I, I ain't looking good, I think I'm looking good. All right, that's all I got to say. That's right. That's right. Well, you're looking good, Miss McDonald. You're looking great. You're looking great. So so talk about some of the product that you have in there, and then we're also going to go back to the backpacks. I want to definitely talk about what you're doing up in Hampton Road because I got such a a really good response and reaction when I posted about it last year on my social media. You know, you contacted me, you say, could I post it? You know, I'll, I'll do anything for you. And also going to make a donation to you this year as well. Uh, for, oh, thank for, you so for, much. Just making a difference. But let's talk about the product. You know, here's some product in front of you. If you're watching this on video, you can see it. We're going to be as as, as, uh, as as creative and descriptive as possible for people who are listening on my podcast and my radio show. But tell us what you got in front of us there. So I just have a slight view of our products. So in total of Rugged Evolution Beard Care, I started off actually with just four cents of beard bombs and beard oil. It's right. an all-natural beard care line. So now we now have 16 uh, scented beard bombs, beard oil, as you see right here. I have my uh, leave-in, I mean, excuse me, our uh, conditioning shampoo is a beard wash that I recommend staying consistent, especially during the summertime. And we just launched two new products. So I have my uh, leave-in beard uh, moisturizer. It's a beard cream. It's uh, the scent of ginger. It is so good. It's a very popular uh, seller right now. We just launched that about two months ago. And um, it's mainly because, again, for the for the summertime, for this heat, uh, I try to adjust the, uh, the routine when it comes to beard maintenance. You don't want to uh, apply too much uh, uh, balm, which is it's still good because it's a great moisturizer, but you don't want to apply too much and have all that oil buildup. So have something that, you know, that's a non-greasy uh, 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 substance onto that face. So this is our leave-in beard moisturizer. And then we also have our, uh, our uh, uh, excuse me, our smooth stash. Our smooth stash, we just launched that in March for Mustache Month. And it's a uh, mustache oil serum right here. And what you do is just you just apply mm -hmm. this. You can do either five seconds to 10 seconds. You can go in small circles or right across. Mm -hmm. We started it just for our mustache uh, sporters, but you, as long as you have like a nice uh, no, thin no, repeat goatee, that, repeat uh, you that can again. apply that What you there. just said there, Gavin, what was that you just had? Repeat what you just, what was that now? This, yes. this is the smooth, this is called smooth stash. It's a mustache serum. Okay. So, and it, it comes in this dispense with this little small roller right. ball. I don't know if you can right. see that. It's a small roller ball at the top mm -hmm. and you just apply just like that, about five to 10 seconds, you're all good to go. And it actually comes in a black velvet bag with our new Rugged Evolution mustache comb. So right after you finish that, you can apply that comb right there. You're all good to go. And you can bring it with you at um at all times. It's very easy to travel. Oh, you, so oh, you got, oh, you got slick on me, huh, Gavin? I, I went, you know, because I, I, sometimes I'd be I'm listening. I go, what did you just do? Because it wasn't balm. You know, because I said, this is not balm. It's a mustache. Now, I, I, I got to get that. I got to get that. Now, now I got the little... um. The little can, the canisters where you know you, you open and then you put on your face as well. Yes, the, yes, the beard bomb. Mm -hmm. Talk about the, the beard, the beard bomb. bomb. Talk yeah. about the beard so bombs. Beard, so our beard bomb, our beard bomb is mainly for men with uh, two inches or more. Uh, for guys with length, it's used as a detangler, still as a great moisturizer. Right. But we have a sixteen cents cents of uh, the beard bombs. Uh, I always 
we'll say like the think of the beard balm as like a dressing. So the beard oil is made to treat the skin first. So you always want to continue to use a beard oil because you got to make sure that skin is taken care of underneath the hair in order to help enhance and uh, benefit your uh, your beard. So you apply the beard oil first. And while you do that, get right there and good in those roots to tip. Then you apply a little bit of beard balm, which I use every day, beard oil and beard balm. And um, and then you you apply one of our, uh, uh, our accessories, one of our beard wooden combs. And you are all good to go, looking great and smooth. Well, you look well, thank you, because uh, you 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 are the reason I look great and smooth. If I'm looking great and smooth, <laughs> because of Gavin. I'm just let y'all know. This <laughs> now, now, Gavin, here's the deal, man. Now, talk about you got now you got a podcast now, and you know I ain't been on the podcast. I ain't mad now. I I, I ain't mad, y'all. I'm not, <laughs> not mad. Yet, not yet. I I I, I, I he all say great things, but Rushon with the beard, the old guy. <laughs> See, he's trying to get that young demo. I know what he's trying to do. He ain't going to bring no old guy on there right away. He's he trying to get that young demo. He think I, I'm going to AARP his old podcast. I'm going to tell your mama on you. I'm going to call your mama. I said, y'all, we, 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 we been croakers. I came up to Hampton and can't even put me on his podcast. But he's going in a year two. I still ain't got no phone call. That's all right. I love him, though. I love him, though. I love him. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> yeah, so we're, uh, so yeah, our, our Smooth Club podcast, it's a new podcast that um, we started uh, uh, mainly during the uh, during the shutdown. And it was something that is it's funny. So, Ms. McDonald, when I started to attend universities, uh, they always ask, you know, what do you want to major in? What do you want to pursue? A dream of mine, I've always wanted to be on radio, whether it was on a radio talk show or I, well, for one, I have a passion for dialogue. I love having conversation with people. I, I highly think that, you know, conversation is something that can take care of all the world's problems just by sitting down, you know, talking with talking uh, amongst each other. So um, the podcast is called our smooth club. And it's a show where everyday men discuss everyday topics um, through my journey and growing my business. I met some great people who become great friends of mine. Um, this show is, is myself, along with three of my friends who are also business owners, uh, young business owners. We're probably no more than like five years with our brands. And the age group ranges from 26 to like 65. Uh, one of our co-hosts, um, he is a, a international fashion designer. He has his own custom suit collection for men and women. Um, another gentleman has uh, uh, owns a travel agency. And then another gentleman who's 65, he has a... Um, a uh, uh, haberdashery uh, store, one of a very uh, historic store in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And um, we just talk about everyday topics, whether it's related to relationship, uh, business, um, uh, the culture, politics, social issues. I mean, with sports, we talk about it all. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, we're right now in season uh, season two, and we're available on um, our, my YouTube channel, Rugged Evil TV. Right. Also, on um all you can listen to it on all major podcast platforms spotify uh google apple uh uh stitcher um we're continuing to grow that platform mm-hmm. and um and it's it's great we just started incorporating guests for season two so mm-hmm. you're you gonna get a phone mm-hmm. call soon you're gonna get yeah. a phone call real yeah. soon you know he's gonna, he gonna uh, throw he gonna throw me a bone y'all he's gonna just throw me a, <laughs> we starting to incorporate guests you know you, we're gonna we're gonna let you on mr mcdonald we're gonna put you on and do your thing you know what i'm saying you know but I'm, I'm proud of you man because you know the what what uh, social media and it's about controlling your destiny and and if you can't in this day and age 
if you can't step out there and say, I want to do something that I've always wanted to do, I, I look at your presentation, it's fantastic, I look at the product. Now, when you start developing new products, uh, who do you work with? Are you working with a chemist? Are you working with a company? How do you go through the process of developing new products? Well, I usually, I do, I will uh, have, I have a few contacts, one that's a dermatologist, one that's a trichologist that works strictly with hair. I'm, you know, I'm making my products. So as far as the testers are concerned, I'll test on myself. I have a few other uh, different beard types. Um, I'll have, uh, you know, different age groups, white beards, uh, um, black, uh, black beards, as far as the right. complexion, mm-hmm. the complexion of the uh, facial hair. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, um, I usually test it. And also, you know, I, I look around as far as on the, um, the market and see, okay, what are we missing? What is something that a lot of uh, men ask for in, mm-hmm. when it comes to beard care what, or mm-hmm. when it comes to something to help you yeah, take care of their beard? So mm-hmm. I put that on paper and then I'm like, okay, look, this is something that I need to put down and I need to, uh, you know, start working on. And, uh, that, and that's, that's how I do it. That's how I usually create uh, the stuff that helps me when I'm creating a new product. Well, the thing that that the really part of your life that I really have always been impressed with is that you're just a regular guy, you know, and, and you've taken a gift. You know, some people might consider having a beard at 14 a, a curse, and because you know you're gonna get teased and sometimes bullied, you know, about mm-hmm. having facial hair and and things like that. And then, but you mature through that through uh you know having a, having a, a family keeping you focused and also letting you understand that's not, that's not something to be seen as a negative. And then the, the whole process of evolving to a, a person who's giving back to the community and yes. something that out of all this negative atmosphere that was going on with COVID, you decided not to think about yourself last year. You decided to think about others. What was yes, the inspiration sir. behind thinking about others and why did it become, impo- become important to do it again for the second year? Well, as, as you know, we would we are very first year we had our um, our uh, rugged evolution foundation, the back to school drive. Uh, we had uh, we had it in 2019. It was a huge success. We had mm-hmm. a goal of giving out 250 backpacks filled with school supplies. We ended up exceeding that goal to 363, mm-hmm. and still had extra supplies to hand out to the community. Um, but you know, due to COVID last year, uh, it was you know I, I used to work in the um, in the healthcare field in okay. uh, physical therapy, and it was you know. First thing I knew was, you know, no health matters. People matter. I'm a people person. I love people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a social butterfly. I'm always mm-hmm. saying, hey, how you doing? Introduce right. myself, things mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. the first thing, it was like the health of uh, people and, pe- and the people in my community, as well as young people as well. So mm-hmm. uh, that we decided not to do that. And I'm especially due to the crowd size. Uh, but we're fortunate to have our second annual this year. Um, it will be happening, uh, let me see, August 28th. Uh, at a local uh, rec center in Chesapeake, Virginia, Indian River Community Center. Um, we're actually having a local radio station, WNSB, uh, Blazing Hot 91, uh, going to be partnering with us for this event. Um, and they're actually affiliated with the HBC. They're affiliated with um, Norfolk State University's uh, right, radio station. Right, that's what station. I thought. Yeah, and, and, um, right. So the yeah, HBCU and, component is tied into the campaign, right? Yes, sir. Norfolk yes, sir. State, that's what I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And our goal this year is to give out 500 backpacks filled with school supplies. We're going to be having free food, uh, free, uh, let me see, free, free cash, excuse me, free prizes mm-hmm. and um, a free uh, ice cream truck giving out free ice wow. cream. We have a gentleman giving out popcorn, cotton candy, the slushies. We have uh, fire trucks, paramedics. We're going to have the sheriff department uh, mm-hmm. doing identities for the kids. Um, a couple of other local mm-hmm. uh, small organiz- uh, organizations mm-hmm. out coming out there, music. It's going to be a lot of fun and open to the community and also free haircuts, too. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the thing about it is that I got a couple of clients I want to I want to get on your podcast. You know, that are really talented. You know, they look younger than me. You know, but they're in the gospel music lane, and uh, but they wear some. They have some facial hair. And I think it'll look good on your shoulder when you. So when you, for, for, it's not even about me. You know, it's never about me. It's about extending yes, your brand and growing your brand. So reach out to me, so Rashawn. Who are you recommending? Todd Delaney is one of the people, uh, young gospel artists. Uh, well, I shouldn't say young because he's successful. You know, like winning <laughs> Stellas and awards and all that good stuff. I think it'd be really great to have on your show, and I think you'll develop a nice relationship and his brand and your brand getting together and getting on his social media because he got a nice path will enhance what you're trying to do, and he'll drop that interview on top of his social media and get the rugged out there to that market that you really want, man. Because that that market between 20 and 40 is where you want to go. Those are people who care about the way they look and will buy your product on a... And this is about a business call. That's where you come on Mm money-making conversations so you can extend your credibility and also let people know that your brand is available to everybody and not just available just for a beard, for all type Mm -hmm. of hair that's on your face, but also I'm 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 a testament. I... I am a fan. That's why I got my my rugged tile. Like I, tell, I, I came right. back, and let them know. I got got my, my rugged tile here. Let everybody know. I believe in this brother, man, Jay Arrington, Gavin. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I owe you a donation too for the backpacks. Okay. And thank you, you. Get thank that. you so much. Now I can just down. go online and click the button and donate there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I, you can also cash up as well. Okay, cool. I will do that today. You'll see a little donation from me today. Okay. Thank you so much, Mr. Don. You have a great one. I appreciate you. We will be right back with more money-making conversation with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money-Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald for Money-Making Conversation with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week, I sat down with the CEO of Forgotten Harvest, Kurt Mays. Forgotten Harvest is one of the top nonprofits in Michigan and one of the nation's premier food rescue organizations. Formed in 1990 to fight two problems, hunger and waste. Here's what Kurt Mays had to say. We got to really come together and think about the ways that we can help each other even before people ask um, so that we can help, you know, stem some of these gaps that people have that sometimes they regret. They don't say anything until it's too bad. It's, it's worse than it should have been. Um, and um, if we can work together and, and be that safety net for each other, um, we really can do a lot to reduce the pain that a lot of people are actually suffering through quietly. If you want to listen to this full interview with Kurt Mays, it's available on MoneyMakingConversations.com. Now let's return to Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Bajai. He's an activist and founder of Legal Equalizer, a mobile app that allows users to capture police encounters after being pulled over, automatically notify loved ones in real time, provide information on legal rights involving that encounter, and receive legal advice at the same at, on the scene which is really important nowadays. It contains laws for all 50 states, allows you to record or go live with someone. Bai is originally from Gambia, West Africa, and moved to the U.S. in 1990 when he was just nine years old. Since living in the U.S., Bai has dedicated countless hours to helping others, including volunteering at homeless shelters and the local churches, as well as helping with the Fair Fight and New Georgia projects. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations for the first time. I love what he represents. He's a techie but a legal, a game changer, I like to say. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Bajai. 
Hello, how you doing? Pretty good, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Uh, where are you? So you're based in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, I actually just recently moved. I uh, moved this weekend to Davidson, North Carolina, um, which is my alma mater. Uh-huh. Um, so the school uh, gave me a grant to come up here and work on the app with some students and have the students learn how to be entrepreneurs and help them with that. So I just moved up to North Carolina, right north of Charlotte. But I'm normally in Atlanta. That's home. Well, I, I'm very familiar with uh, the Queen City. That's what uh, that's what Charlotte, North Carolina is called. Uh, good food, good people. But you're back in Atlanta, and it's good food and good people here too. And you have an app. So when one says say the word app or somebody who engaged in developing the app, the word techie comes up. Oh, do you have a tech background? I do not. That's the funny thing. I have no background in tech at all. So I've had to get people that could code and do all of that stuff to get the app done for me. Now, why was it important to create this app? Because I read the bio, kind of like with uh, the incident in St. Uh, Louis, and going to the young man, lose Michael Brown at the time, that... That it was, did it infuriate you? Did it angry? Did it make you angry? Did it make you feel helpless? What led to that? What were the emotions that was running through your your mind and your body at the time? Um, it was a combination of a bunch of things for us. So um, it was that you know I was angry, um, nervous, um, sad. You feel helpless. Um, and for me, during that time, Mike Brown and the, and the subsequent incidents afterwards, what really got me was that feeling also of always when anything happened, it was always going to be, um, what did they do wrong? What did this person do wrong? Instead of, you know, asking, okay, what, where's the video? Where's the, um, where's the proof of what happened? So I really got tired of every time we saw a young unarmed black person get shot, get beaten up, get anything happen to them. Mm-hmm. It was always going back to check on their past to see, hey, how did they escalate the situation? Rather than asking, okay, what did the officer who has the power, what could they have done to de-escalate that situation? How could they have moved differently? So that was really the feeling, and it's just that frustration of over and over and the cycle that's happened over and over again. Um, You know, since I came here as a seven-year-old kid from Gambia, you know, I can name you countless names from Rodney King, you know, that was a year after I got here. (laughs) Right. To... You know, Sean Bell to Oscar Grant to Amadou Giallo mm-hmm. to, you know, so we can just keep going names after name after name of this happening consistently. So when Mike Brown happened, it was just after that time, I was like, I'm fed up. And for me personally, I've been stopped so many times. I've been stopped 150, 120 plus times in my life. Mm-hmm. So you feel that you basically have been stopped for being black. But they say, yeah. you, know, you know, the police stopping you because you're black. I know I've been stopped. Uh, and I have cars that, so why are you stopping me, you know? And it, it makes you feel defenseless. To talk about, walk us through the steps. So, because as an African-American male, especially, we all have different experiences. We all look at the police differently. I know myself, when the police stopped me, is I, the, the number one question is, okay, fear. Fear goes through my, my mind. You know, fear and the, okay, um, how do I get away from this? I'm just talking about my side of the story, by. Uh, how do I make sure I leave this moment alive? That's really crazy. I'm talking like this. I'm an educated man. I'm a successful man. I, I live in a, an upper, up, up in the upper tier neighborhood. I drive upper tier cars. Uh, and so, but here I am being stopped. And just recently I was stopped in Atlanta in Duluth. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, when he pulled me over, uh, you know, I put the, did the tent to, made sure. My hands were on the steering wheel. I uh, asked him, he asked me for my... Uh, my, my auto insurance. I said, 
do you mind? I got to reach over here and look into my glove compartment. And he said, fine. I did that. It was no sudden rush to go over there because I don't know how he's going to react. That is my experience. And of course, eventually I was allowed to move on. The second time I was cop stopped, I was in the vehicle and the that, that officer was white. The other officer black. He talking about uh, my type of vehicle was in a hit and run accident. Of course, I didn't have a dent on my car. Why are you stopping me, brother? I don't. Have, you can just walk around this truck. What? What? Did you not say hit and run? Of course, I didn't have attitude. I'm trying to get away not by. Okay. Right. <laughs> right, but, right. But you did say hit and run, though. Okay. I said, can you look around my vehicle and see any damage? Walked around. Y'all don't see anything. I said, can I go? Oh, yeah, you can go. You can go. You can go. But these are the type of things that people of color, especially African-American men, uh, have to deal with. Tell us some of your experiences and what runs through your head by when you're stopped by the police, black or white police oh, officer. You, you explained a lot of it. It's, you know, I tell people all the time, I've never been to war, but I kind of understand when soldiers talk about how PTSD feels like. Mm-hmm. I was saying it's a lot of the same experiences that you have. You described exactly what I've been through. Right. Um, it's that PTSD feeling of your hands start sweating. You get nervous. You know you've done nothing wrong. And you're still wondering, are they going to put those lights on? Are they going to pull me over? If they do pull me over, what are they going to pull me over for? What kind of excuse is it? So I've had everything where I've been pulled over from, um, like I said, the first time when I was 12 years old on an academic team trip in South Georgia. Mm-hmm. My team was predominantly a bunch of black kids. We had a few white kids on there. Mm-hmm. And then the other middle schools, there were almost all black. And we were outside playing cards outside the hotel. And they came there and they told us that, oh, yeah, there was a robbery here in the area and you guys fit the description of the <laughs> robber. Come to find out, it was a 29-year-old person that was like 6'5", 230, 240 pounds. Right. And here we are, a bunch of middle school kids, nobody taller than 5'6", right. nobody weighing more than 150 pounds soaking wet. Right. And so, you know, it's that I've been pulled over for wearing my seatbelt the wrong way, he said. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I asked him, how, how do I wear my seatbelt the wrong way? Um, I've been stopped for being in my own neighborhood countless times, just like you said, people, well, you know, we don't have any black people living in this neighborhood. What are you doing here? Right. And you show them your ID and it's like, oh, you do live here. Mm -hmm. And actually the impetus that got me to get the app started, what got me going honestly was three months after Mike Brown, that December, it was 2014. Um, I had, I got pulled over three times in about a week and a half time frame by DeKalb County PD. The first time the officer pulled me over, literally he told me, asked me what I was doing in my own neighborhood. When I showed him my ID, it was, oh, you do live here. Right. Okay, I'm sorry, you're free to go. And right. so the second time I got pulled over, it's the only time that a judge has ever apologized to me in court. The officer printed on the ticket that I was at a stop sign for three seconds and not for five seconds. And so when I went to court, that judge looked at it and literally asked the officer, did you have a stopwatch? Were you on your you know, phone timing it? Like, how do you know it was three, not four, not five? And so he was like, I'm sorry for wasting time. You're free to go. And the third time I got stopped is really what got the impetus to get the app going. Because like I said, I've been thinking about it for a while, but hadn't made the move. And this was times like, okay, now we have to make this move. And so this time um, I was headed to work. It was December 12th, 2014. Right. Heading to work. And that time I was working for insurance. I was selling insurance at Allstate. And like I said, I just been pulled over twice in the previous nine days by that same department. Officer gets behind me. 
And so I don't think any of it. I drive a mile. He's still behind me. I switch lanes. He switches lanes behind me. I switch another lane. He goes behind me. I'm like, okay, he's about to pull me over. Finally cuts his lights on, pulls me over. Gets over there. And I'm like wondering why I got stopped because I'm like, hey, I know I have my insurance is good. I just got pulled over. I had the other tickets. There was nothing else going on. Right. So he pulls me over. He tells me, oh, there's a warrant for your arrest. Wow. And I told him, no, there's not. And he was like, how are you so sure? I was like, I literally got pulled by your same department two times in the past week uh-huh. and a half. And none, none of them mentioned the warrant for my arrest. So then his attempt to get around that was then telling me, well, maybe the systems were down. And when he told me that, I showed him the ticket I got from the same department before and said, well, sir, if the systems were down last week, how was he able to print out a ticket? It's not a handwritten ticket. This is a printed ticket he gave me. Right. So how was the system able to print this ticket but not tell him I had a warrant for my arrest? And so had he gone back to the car and let me chill to check on that, there probably wouldn't even be an app right now. But instead of doing that, he said, well, while I check on this warrant for my safety, I'm going to have to put you in handcuffs and put you in the back of my car. Wow. So he cuffed me, sat me in the back of his car for what seemed like 10 to 15 minutes. While instead of calling in that warrant, he was in, he was dead. I watched him walking around my car with a flashlight trying to see if he could find something in there. Right. And he gets done and comes back. He was like, oh, it's an invalid warrant. You're free to go. So I asked him, well, where's the warrant from? Uh, we will be county, right back what, with what more money making conversation like, well, well, you with Deshaun uh, McDonald. This is you don't have to arrest. So I got his badge number, I got his name, and my mom and I went and made a complaint the next day. It's the only time I've made a complaint to the police department. You know, I could have had a lot more, but you know, it was at that time like I was just fed up, and so made a complaint. They say he did nothing wrong. Do something about it. So when I started the app, it wasn't even to start a business. It wasn't to make money. It wasn't anything more so than, hey, if I get pulled over, I want my mom. I wanted my girlfriend at the time to know where I was. I wanted to know my best friends to know where I was. And I wanted a video if anything happened so people could not argue about, hey, what did he do wrong? And so literally that's what started the whole process of getting it was that stop of him not letting me call my job, not letting me call my mom, and him basically profiling me and pulling me over for no reason. It was like, you're free to go. Because I told him I felt like one of those fish in those catch and release ponds. Right, right, like, right. you're going to catch me, at least eat me. Don't just waste my time. <laughs> so so, so that, that's what got the impetus to start thinking about creating something to start protecting people when they got stopped. Let me ask you this, because I've never been uh, handcuffed. I've never been seated in the back of a Now let's return car. to money-making conversation with Rashawn McDonald. It's, uh, it's, it was, for me, it was just dehumanizing. That's what it was. It was, I know here I am, I'm a grown man who hasn't done anything wrong, who has been fine and, you know, I'm like, got no criminal records or anything like that. And I can't do anything about that. You know, if I fight you, if I do anything, you have the license to shoot and kill me. So all I have is just to sit here and take it. And hopefully it comes out like it did where it says what you're accusing me of is completely false and I'm free to go. So honestly, that's like the last time I actually like had a heavy, heavy cry, you know, was because after I just felt like you weren't a man, you weren't even a human anymore. And it it was just a dehumanizing feeling to know that you've done nothing wrong and to have those handcuffs put on you sitting in the back of that car and just wondering, hey, is he going to make up something? And for me, I'm thinking, what if he plants something in my car and says now, oh, I found all these drugs. I found this gun or something like that. And then what? am I going to have to do next? Do I have legal recourse? What do I have to do there? So those are all the things I think about sitting in the back of that car is, okay, 
how can I contact my mother? How can I contact my right. brother? How can I contact my girlfriend? Like, how can I let my best friends know? It's just different things like that. That's what, what ran through my mind that whole time. Well, you know, the thing that when I, I'm talking to Baja, he's the activist and founder of Legal Equalizer, a mobile app that allows users to capture police encounters after being pulled over, automatically notifying loved ones in real time, provide information on legal rights involving that encounter, and receive legal advice at the scene. It contains laws for all 50 states. Now, when you when you when you start an app like this, the first thing people go, how can you how could how does it work? I'm trying to get into your head now and develop a legal equalizer. You know, like I say, all ideas start out of a frustration. All ideas start from trying to make life easier or much more or less complicated. In this case, this is a this is a social activist app. I would like to believe, uh, from a standpoint of. It can physically protect you, can keep you, uh, protect your rights, and also educate you about your rights on the spot. Now, is it, okay, so walk me through how it would actually work if a police officer, because this is a video as well, how would it work if some, I'm sitting there, do I hold my phone up and he sees me holding the phone up? Or how does it work? Bye. So now we know in Georgia and most states, you can't have your phone in your hand. You have to have some kind of stand up there for it to be hands-free. Yes, sir. And so we have the app there. And so we can do a couple of ways. So if you get pulled over, so when you first log into the app, what happens is you go through the um, login process and it asks you for access to your contacts. Mm -hmm. When you get there, you're going to pick at least five people um, that you trust, friends, family, or whoever. And those are your emergency contacts. Now, within the app, we have laws for all 50 states, rights and things that you can do and all that stuff. We don't want you doing that when you get pulled over. That's a little bit too late for that. Right. We want people to get educated <laughs> before on that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So now if you see those lights get pulled over, you can do one of two things. You can say, hey, you know, you say Siri, activate legal equalizer. Hey, Google, activate legal equalizer, open legal equalizer. It opens up the app. You can do it by voice. Mm -hmm. Or you can just open up with your hands. So the app now opens up. Within... Two seconds, you can hit that button. It says, I need help for. And the list comes out. It says, I need help for police stop, general emergency, domestic violence situation, immigration ice, active shooter. So you put, I need help for police stop, and you hit that button, And it sends those people to Texas says, hey, I've been stopped by the police. My location is, and it gives them your exact location. Mm -hmm. If you don't hear from me in the next 30 minutes, please call the police department in this area. And it also has a Google pinpoint map there. So within five seconds, those people already have that text message, know you've been stopped. Now, you then have whatever your choice is next. You can either now choose to record that encounter, and we're going to have that recording saved onto the phone, or what we're having in this new release, which we've been testing out this morning and this past week, you can now hit a live video option. And those people are going to get a notification you have a live video. And just like we're talking now, by the time that police, that police officer comes to your door, you're going to have those people on your phone looking right back at them and the officer is going to be able to see them. So it's going to be looking like you have eyewitnesses and they can record right, that encounter right. in real time. Look over this and in a few months, five people staring about, at you. And in a few, a few months, what we're about to do is we're about to then have it where you can then find an attorney in that area and pay an attorney what would be a fraction of the cost or cheaper than your ticket and have the attorney then join that call in real time and listen to why you guys stop and tell you what to do and give you that real time legal advice. And so that's how the app works. Very simple. All that can be done within 20, 25 seconds. And you can just be chilling until wait for the officer to come to your door. Well, I, I, I love the fact that uh, 
first of all, using your voice, because that's what I do when I get in my vehicle, I'd say navigate to or call somebody. That really simplifies the process for sure. And so, but when you when you develop something like this, were there naysayers that uh, by that by job that that really came into your lane of going? First of all, you go, you got this. Why the big why? Then you got this. That's unnecessary, and that's okay. Who are you? You've never done anything like that. Were those some of the statements that came your way by when you were trying to put together the legal equalizer? Um, it was that. It was that, you know, I'm being anti-police. Right. Um, it was, you know, you don't know what you're doing. I'm not a lawyer. So I was like, you don't know the law. You don't know any of that stuff. <laughs> right. Why would you use this? Why can't I do that? It's, well, the officers might shoot somebody for using your app. And so I just have to talk people through common sense, right? And I tell them, if if somebody has my uh, the phone out and they have it out, you think the officer is going to shoot them because they have my app open? Right. I was like, that's not the issue. If, if the <laughs> officer shoots somebody because of their phone, we have a bigger issue than whatever's on their phone. Right, right, right. And right. we need to go back to that root cause. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's been, you know, and like I said, when I started, I don't know how to code still. I don't know how to code. I don't know how to build. I had to ask people. And, right. I, and my whole time, I've had nothing but black coders as well to come help build me with this. Mm-hmm. So I used to work at Apple. The, you know, in the store, the business team making sales. So when I got done, I was like, somebody in the store got to know somebody that can code. So I asked them and I had somebody that built my very first version of that app. And we need to upgrade. And I had to go ask somebody else that I knew in tech in Atlanta and was like, hey, Rodney, can you find me somebody that can code? Because my old coder can't do the things I need to get done. And now we have somebody that's been here for three, four years and knows what to do, knows the vision and can code and build that stuff out as well. Here's the interesting thing, because you know you need help from the community, you need help from the society, and you definitely need help from politicians when you're trying to do anything like this, because some people can throw the word controversial, uh, put the word council culture, uh, claim that you're anti-blue, you uh, you want to defund the police. But what are some of the things or three things at least that the community, the society in general can do, especially politicians can do to help you address the root of the problems that you are trying to solve with the legal equalizer? Um, Well, politicians can do a lot to start with. For one, I completely disagree with qualified immunity. I think they need to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. Because like I tell police officers, if you're a good police officer and you're doing your job, you ain't got to worry about getting sued. Mm Mm-hmm. But right now, they can beat you up, they can shoot you, they can stab you, they can do whatever to you, and technically you cannot sue that individual officer just because of that job. So I ask them all the time, would you go to a doctor that can just do whatever and you can sue them if they messed up? Right. You probably ask why. And so it's that same issue with qualified immunity. It's one issue I have with policing. The second issue I have, the politicians, I think, well, and, and policing is local as well, so that's another thing we need to talk about. It's not, you know, federal and all that. And so the other thing we can do with policing as well is also in terms of the hiring and looking at the quality of officers we're hiring. The fact that, you know, somebody can go six months of training and now be licensed to kill somebody. When you have attorneys have to go to law school, you have other people have to go to all kinds of training to get that. And so personally, I told police officers if I was in charge, I would cut the police departments by a lot, but I would pay the officers there a lot more. And I give those guys a lot more money and a lot more resources because when you look at crimes right now, they don't solve the majority of crimes. Right. The most crimes go completely unsolved. When you look at how many thousands of hundreds of thousands of rape kits we have that aren't even checked right now. Mm -hmm. So they're not worrying or handling murders are going unsolved. 
And so we're not giving them those resources. We have officers that we paying money to just do traffic stuff. Right. To basically sit on the highway and see if you're speeding right. and do all that stuff rather than actually dealing with the real issues in society and stuff. Um, a third thing I think we need to do is um, deal with those police union contracts because those contracts are what gives them that qualified immunity. They're what gives them the right to do a lot of this stuff. They're what, like in Georgia until a few years ago, if an officer killed somebody, they were able to sit in that grand jury room and testify, but they couldn't even get cross-examined. Right. And so imagine that. You're sitting there, okay, I can hear his side of the story. I can't ask him any questions or anything like that, which is why we didn't have many officers even indicted. And so, and these were all deals that were made by these unions or by these organizations, police groups that come here and they'll defend any officer or anything wrong, right, or whatever. And I like I said, I can keep going like with these things. You know, another thing I was hoping for with officers is that make the officers live in the neighborhoods they work. Right. Too many times we have officers that live 30, 45 minutes away and drive into the inner city and drive to other places. They'll know nobody there. And they assume things about these people and they use assumptions to work, do that, rather than policing their own neighborhoods, rather than knowing, hey, that's Johnny over there. Johnny yeah. has had multiple personality disorder. The whole neighborhood knows yes. this. Instead of coming, hey, with a gun, let's call somebody to talk Johnny down and work with that. Right. You know, that's Jim over there. You know, Jim has a drinking problem. You right. know, he'll get drunk and he'll do this. But instead of getting roughed up with Jim, we can take him here, let him sober down. We know that his mama lives over there. You know, we know his dad, his girlfriend, like it's things like that we can do. So it's common sense things we can do to help improve policing and make it simpler. But anytime you want to make those suggestions that you're anti-police, you're this and that. And even when we talk about the defunding the police, it's not defunding the police. I tell them people use the wrong term there. You just call it re reallocating your money, reallocating your funds, because all that does is, for instance, Atlanta. If we don't spend 40% of our city budget on policing, we can spend 30% of our city budget on policing. Take that extra 10%, put it back in the inner city neighborhoods, build grocery stores there to have healthy food instead of having right. junk stuff there. Mm -hmm. That gives people jobs. Right, right. You know, right. give people opportunities in those areas where now, okay, we got people constructing this grocery store. We got people working this grocery store. We need managers here. These kids can come here and be cashiers. Oh, now they're not out here doing the water boy stuff. They're not committing crimes because right. we've invested that money back into the community. And now all these so-called crimes that's going wild, oh, a lot of that has been solved because the roots of that crime, the, the root cause of those crimes are now being solved. Right. And so these are some of the things I wish politicians and our leaders would think about more and advent more when it comes to, you know, criminal justice and public safety. Hey, Baja, you know, I, I, I got my show is going to go live on uh, WCLK uh, starting in September 7th. I want to bring you back. It's for Atlanta because what you're talking about, you know, it's, it's, it's gone beyond the legal equalizer app, which is a fantastic reason I brought you on. But the whole concept, especially when you hit the water boys and that, that goes into your volunteering at the homeless shelters and local churches and mm -hmm. helping people in the fair fight and New Georgia Project Organization. I want to bring you back really talk about that because I think that's one of the reasons why I want to take my show live. I want to be able to take phone calls. I want to people to hear people like you have that passion. I'm not trying to turn it into a militant conversation, but I want to talk, create a conversation. And a lot of times the conversation is not created with the right information. And that's what angers me the most about the media today because they they fund the bad information. They promote yep. the bad information. And the classic example is that when, when Cuomo's brother doesn't even mention him in the news and he's the headline news every day. Mm -hmm. Okay, you mean you can pick and choose news now? That's how we're doing news now? You don't have to talk about your brother? 
Even when he retired, you need to, when he resigned, you need to talk about it. So mm-hmm. that lets me know that news in general does not give us the right message. So, but I want to thank you for coming on the show. Talk about the League Equalizer. Uh, it's a downloadable app. I'm sure you can get it on the Google Play Store. Yep, Google Play Store and iTunes. They're both free. They're both free. Again, brother, appreciate you. Uh, again, I'm gonna be you'll be hearing from me again. Bye. In regards to coming back on the show, like start September 7th, every Tuesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Sit down, talk. You can come in studio, we can do it on call. It doesn't have to be a Zoom call, it can just be a regular call, or you can come in studio, we can sit down and chat. But you are a brother, I want to stay in touch with you. Thank you so much. Definitely, definitely. I appreciate you. And- for coming on my show. Again, Money Making Conversation can be seen or heard on moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. You've been listening to Money Making Conversations with Rashawn McDonald. Please join us next week. And always remember, lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. This week I sat down with the award-winning music producer and raptivist Justin Rhodes. In 2016, Rhodes and his business partner dove headfirst into the world of film with little to no experience. In less than five years, he's amassed quite the resume and his new film is a wonderful plight. His mission is to tell his story and the stories of our people in a unique way. Here's what Justin Rhodes had to say. When you have success in something, well, people deem success because people deem success as maybe monetary or if you're getting placements or if you're aligned with certain individuals and yes that's success to a point but the ultimate success is what makes you feel good and I love music but just being a music producer only and it's, it's, it's a sense of my thing is as much as I love music production is so much more to that I had so much more talents if you were to listen to this full interview with Justin Rhodes it's available on moneymakingconversations.com